Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. So there are some high-profile, some high-profile court cases going on. You've got a former campaign manager, your former lawyer. They're all dealing with legal troubles. Are you paying close attention? Well, I feel badly about a lot of them because I think a lot of it's very unfair. I mean, I look at uh, some of them where they go back 12 years. Like Manafort has nothing to do with our campaign, but I feel so. I tell you, I feel a little badly about it. They went back 12 years to get things that he did 12 years ago. Uh, a ruling on Pal- Paul Manafort. Uh, he is, in fact, going to jail. He worked for me, what, for 49 days or something? A very short period of time. He wants to maintain his reputation as a stand-up guy, that he doesn't want to have to testify against people. Paul Manafort, if he does not cooperate, may never, ever see the outside of a jail cell. Hey, Trumpcast listeners, Jason here, producer of the show, jumping into the host seat for the day, and for good reason, to talk about Paul Manafort. The former Trump campaign chairman was at the courthouse today for his arraignment on charges filed last week by the Mueller team against him. Among those charges were witness tampering and obstruction of justice. Judge Amy Berman Jackson issued a decision at the arraignment to detain Paul Manafort until his trial. So as of this moment, he is the first Trump associate to see a jail cell because of Mueller's investigation. So here to chat with me about the day's events is Tierney Sneed. She's a reporter over at Talking Points Memo and was at the courthouse today to cover the arraignment. Tierney, thanks for joining me on Trumpcast. Oh, thanks for having me. So let's start at the top of the day. You arrive at the courthouse around what time and what do you see? Who's on hand? Et yeah, so I got at the courthouse this morning um, around 8.45 a.m. Uh, I went to the cafeteria got some coffee. I had to work on another story. So I was in the cafeteria for about 45 minutes. And as is kind of often the case before Manafort appears in court, he usually gets there pretty early before whenever his hearing is scheduled and, and hangs out in the cafeteria with his attorneys and the spokesperson, whoever else is sort of in his posse that day. So I saw all of them and it, w- it was kind of interesting because I did walk by and catch his eye and he smiled. So he, he, he didn't have the look of someone who, you know, if I thought there was a chance I was going to jail that day, I would probably have not looked as upbeat as he did. But uh, uh, I presume Manafort was not eating when you saw him. I did not see him eating. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now in the room, who's representing the prosecutors there? 
who's representing Manafort and kind of what's, do you know the arrangement of the room there? Yeah. So, uh, so mainly there's been a couple prosecutors that have shuffled in and out, but the two main attorneys on Mueller's team who've been sort of handling the, uh, the Manafort proceedings are Andrew Weissman um, and Greg Andres. Greg Andres was the one who was doing all the talking today. Manafort has a couple different attorneys, but the one that was doing all the talking today was Richard Weisling. Um, so it's just the two of them talking to the judge, um, you know, both on each side of the room. Uh, and it was a, it was a packed house. You know, usually at these hearings, you you have a you know a dozen or two dozen reporters and maybe a couple members of the public. But today there was so many people. Um, there was an overflow room that was, you know, half full. Which actually, with a full disclosure, I was in the overflow room. Um, so we can hear the proceedings, but could not see them. But we could hear who was speaking and and whatnot. Got it. So Manafort. The the trial gets started. Manafort's in front of the judge, and I presume uh, how how do how do things kick off? I, I don't want to presume anything. How do things kick off? Yeah, so she started first with the arraignment, which is you know when when Manafort has the opportunity to enter his plea and the latest set of charges. And these are the charges that Special Counsel Mueller brought last week, having already made the allegations of witness tampering. He formally brought the charges that you know had been approved by a grand jury that he, um, Mr. Manafort, and uh, his longtime business associate, uh, Constantin Klimnik, had engaged in obstruction of justice by engaging in this uh, witness tampering. So he ended his, his not guilty plea. They got that out of the way and then went into the discussion of whether Manafort needed to be sent back to jail or sent to jail um, pending his trial because he was allegedly engaging in witness tampering. So Judge Amy Berman Jackson starts um, going through the bail. I, I imagine some amount of like going through evidence is, is going on here. So at all, what she or? did, what she did, she did kind of a lengthy overview of how we got to this point. She talked about, you know, his arrest, excuse me, not his arrest, but when he turned himself in in, in late October, um, how he's been under home confinement since then how there have been a number, number of attempts to get him out, out of house arrest and on bail, but the problems that the, the defense team has had in securing his $10 million bail and, you know, kind of going through the history of it to sort of the last couple of weeks when, it, again, they were, they were pretty close to making a proposal that she would have accepted that would have released him on house arrest when in late May, Mueller's team alerted her, hey, we've got something we're concerned about. Um, this was a, a court filing that was under seal. So, you know, we didn't know about it at the time, but alerted to her that we, can you hold off for a couple days before making a decision on this? We're going to have something that we're going to show you that we're investigating right now. And that was the witness tamper, tampering allegations that they earlier this month filed on, on the, on the public docket. So she kind of went through that history she then kind of went through sort of legally what is required of her under these sort of um, questions. It's the Bail Reform Act is, you know, kind of a, the, the relevant law and sort of provisions in that that sort of lay out what she has to decide. And because Mueller had already brought formal charges against Manafort for this witness tampering, he'd already established that there was probable cause that Manafort had done this. So that was kind of one box that was checked. But there were other things that she had to consider, you know, whether Manafort, you know, not being detained presented a danger to the community, whether it presented a flight risk, and whether there was another set of conditions she could impose on him that would sort of solve those problems that would not require him to be detained. So she kind of laid out sort of the playing field and where she was at and what she wanted to discuss. 
And that took, you know, 20 or 30 minutes before we even had the, the attorneys step up and sort of make their, their cases. So at any point, does Manafort's lawyer kind of make an argument for different alternatives other than revoking the bail? He did. He did. And what was interesting and what she brought up was that they hadn't really done this in their in their written brief, but he did get up and say, you know, why don't we, we were just weren't, he wasn't sure who was a witness. We're just now finding out from the government who these witnesses are. Like, what if you just gave a, a much clearer no contact list and you tell us who we can't talk to? You know, if you give us an order, he'll comply with it. He's largely been complying with his his conditions of being under house arrest. So you can do this without putting him back in jail. You can give him an order that kind of tells him not to talk to people you know, more formally and he'll follow it. And then, of course, the government came up and kind of made their arguments of why that wasn't sufficient. So from here, Judge Amy Berman Jackson issues her ruling. And, and what is that ruling and what does it mean for Manafort and kind of what what unravels after that? Before she issued her decision, she took a took a recess about twenty or thirty minutes. Um, she wanted to think over the arguments, and you know she's done this before when she's had kind of big decisions she's going to make from the bench. So she did that, and then you know called called everyone back in. And yeah, she said she said it was a difficult decision. You know, a lot of the coverage kind of painted this as a slam dunk case, but she really, you know, in the in the hearing with the with the arguments, she really kind of questioned both sides, really it was very thorough and sort of talking about the law and, you know, what was really up for debate, what 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 was really sort of the thing she had to decide. And, you know, where she came down on it, she said, you know, this isn't middle school. I can't take your cell phone away. Um, and so she said he has to, uh, you know, be detained until his trial, which the D.C. trial is scheduled in September. And from there, he was taken into custody, you know, right right on the spot. So he's, he has to stay in there for the duration of his trial, correct? Which, uh, does this mean both trials, the trial in Virginia and also the trial for D.C.? Yeah, I mean, presumably it's, it, 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 it is going to create a major logistical headache for, for his attorneys and for him because he does also have this trial in Virginia that's coming up. Um, it's currently scheduled for late July um, and there's hearings in that. So, you know, there is going to be sort of a logistical nightmare in terms of, you know, preparing him for that getting him to those hearings, preparing him for the DC, DC case. Um, so there is, a, there is a reason why, you know, there, there's a kind of a, a standard of why you have to, what the defendant has to do before you put them back in jail, because it does make it much harder for them to prepare to defend themselves. But as uh, Judge Jackson said today, she felt like, you know, they had kind of reached that point that he needed to be back in jail, or not back in jail, excuse me, put in jail. And I, I was reading up a little bit on different stories from uh, around the around the arraignment this morning, and I I read that one of the things that came up was uh, this evidence that had come up that Manafort was using a technique called folding. Yeah, so it came up when when the when Mueller's attorneys were sort of responding to this argument from Manafort's attorneys that oh you can just do a, a no contact list and will follow it and he won't talk to those people. And what they come up and said is, no, he has a, you know, quote, a history of deception. He, you know, and they kind of go through some of the things we already knew about, but then he, he they bring up um, that he would, instead of sending emails to associates, giving them direction, he would write a draft of an email, put it in the draft file, and his associates would have a password to that account and then look at the file and the draft file, get, you know, kind of consume it and then delete it. So it's a way of kind of getting around sending emails to and from that could be incriminating. Um, so that was uh, 
some of the evidence that they, they brought out today that kind of clever. Yeah. <laughs> to, to allege that, you know, even if you give him this order, we don't know if he's going behind our backs and doing this, um, you know, pointing to the fact that he was sending encrypted texts, pointing to the fact that, you know, we're talking about people who were in Europe and Russia and Italy that he was, you know, kind of in contact with. Um, at one point, I think one of them said, you know, what if he takes his wife's cell phone and makes a phone call? So, and, and another thing they said to, to drive home that, that point uh, was that they found out about this witness tampering, this alleged witness tampering, because the witnesses themselves came to them and said, he's been reaching out to us. Mm. It wasn't because they had some sort of, you know, we're monitoring it and, and would have found it otherwise, um, which, you know, apparently was convincing to the judge. So has it come up who those witnesses were that came out uh, to the government? Uh, so it's, uh, it's interesting. It's actually by accident, a filing from the special counsel that was supposed to be filed under seal because, you know, some of the information had been unredacted that had been previously redacted was filed, um, on the public docket. It came up actually in today's hearing, you know, apparently was indeed a clerical error. It was an error, you know, the court employee made, not that <laughs> Mueller had made, um, the judge sort of addressed it and said, you know, it's up for 17 minutes. It was the court's fault. We apologize. It was not Mueller's fault or anyone, you know, it wasn't any party's fault. It was the court's fault, which was interesting because, you know, we all saw it, you know, I immediately saved the document, you know, with a feeling that they yeah. would take it off the docket right. because of that, you know, and there've been some reporting prior to that where people had kind of put together the pieces of who these two people were. Um, but that was sort of the confirmation of both who those two witnesses are, but all, that document also named a number of the foreign uh, or the, the foreign politicians. These are politicians in Europe, ex-politicians in Europe who had made up this group called the Habsburg Group that Manafort was allegedly using to lobby for Ukraine and the United States, which is one of the major allegations in the case. So now I presume Manafort's sitting in a cell or at the courthouse waiting to be transferred to a proper prison. Is that correct? That's that's probably what's happening. What was what was the reaction around the room when he did actually get um, when Judge Amy Berman Jackson issued her decision on revoking the bail, uh, sending him to uh, prison? A bunch of people, including myself, ran out of the room to tell their editors how it happened. <laughs> um, yeah. When you're in the courthouse and you're in the D.C. courthouse, um, generally speaking, you're not supposed to, you're not allowed to bring electronics into the courthouse. But if you are a member of the media or, you know, there's obviously other other uh, exceptions to this, too. But for my purposes, if you're a member of the media, you are allowed to bring your computer and your phone, but you have to turn it off when you're in the courtroom. So mm-hmm. actually, and when we were being brought back in after recess, um, I can't remember if it, was a, if it was a clerk or an employee or the judge herself, but someone did say to us, you know, the judge doesn't want a bunch of people running out of the courtroom after she makes her decision. So if you're going to need to do that, you need to be in the overflow room. So yeah, <laughs> in my room, it was a bunch of people running for the door so they can turn off their phones or turn on their phones and, you know, get their stories up right away that he had been, um, his bail had been revoked and that he was being put into custody. Um, and so I want to go to the president's reaction to all this today. He posted a tweet, which I want to read to you real quick. It says this, I'm going to do this in a plain voice because I can't do a Trump voice like the great <laughs> John D. Domenico who does it on our show usually. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, what a tough sentence for Paul Manafort, who has represented Ronald Reagan, Bob Dole, and many other top political people in campaigns. Didn't know Manafort was the head of the mob. What about Comey and Crooked Hillary and all the others? Very unfair. Um, what <laughs> What is wrong with that statement? <laughs> oh, there's a lot. There's a lot going on in that tweet. Uh-huh. 
So, I mean, that, that's the obvious factual error uh, is that Trump called it a sentencing. It was not a sentencing. There has not even been a trial yet. It was um, a decision to revoke his bail and put him in pretrial detention, which I guess is a lot of characters. But, you know, the, the journalists have to kind of do the fact checking and tell you that it was not a sentencing. Um, it was also interesting, you know, we've kind of come down to it at this point, but this is, you can file it into another uh, example of Trump attacking the judiciary in a way that presidents normally haven't attacked in such, you know, outright fashion, calling it a, you know, a tough, tough sentence and very unfair. Um, also the use of the word very unfair. That's the language he's been using when he's been announcing pardons um, of people like Denise D'Souza or Scooter Libby, um, you know, these sort of high profile controversial pardons that are sort of, you know, very political in nature, given the, given the, who these people are and the crimes that they've uh, committed. Um, so yeah, there was, a, there was a lot to dissect in that tweet um, and in that reaction. Um, on that question of pardons, uh, Giuliani, I, I believe right before I started talking to you, came out. Came yeah. out. He, he had a statement in the New York Daily News that was to the effect mm-hmm. of, this will all be cleaned up. I got it in up. front of me. When, when, when yeah. the whole thing is over, things get cleaned up with some presidential pardons. <laughs> <laughs> At the risk of giving Giuliani way too much uh, voice, what, what do you make of that? I mean, it's just kind of, it goes to show where we're, where we're at right now is that you can just explicitly talk about a, a Trump attorney can talk about his former campaign chairman being pardoned for crimes that he hasn't even, you know, been convicted yet of. He's still, you know, awaiting trial. And yeah, we've just come to a point that before this, this, you would get, a, there was a, there was a big political price to pay about, you know, engaging in pardons that seemed inappropriate or unseemly, even though the, the president has, you know, pretty broad powers to pardon people. And, you know, that's kind of all gone out through the door and, you know, we'll forget about this, this Giuliani quote in two hours when he says something else, you know, newsworthy or at least attention worthy. And I guess it's worth noting that even if a pardon is issued, he Manafort still has to deal with the situation in Virginia, which is uh, a different set of circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, he hasn't even, he hasn't even gone to trial yet. So we'll see. And you've got, um, state prosecutors who are sort of investigating some of these things. And it's worth noting that presidents can only pardon federal crimes, not state crimes. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to see if, if what happens and whether all the, the talks and the, and the promises and the hints, whether Trump actually goes that far. Well, uh, I hope to circle back with you right, right around July when uh, the, yes, the, everything gets started all over on. again. Yes. Yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be, and uh, the Virginia courthouse is much stricter on its uh, media role, so it'll be even more of a of a crazy, crazy situation. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, Tierney, thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you so much. And that's our show. What did you think? Let us know by tweeting at us at RealTrumpCast. And follow us while you're at it. It's very easy. Just click the blue little follow button at the top. That's at RealTrumpCast. I also want to thank all the people that helped make this show work, including Jacob Weisberg, Virginia Heffernan, June Thomas, John D. Domenico, Steve Waltine, Kate James, Asher Perlman, and so many others that I'm sure I'm leaving out. It's always a pleasure to cut this show together alongside the rest of the TrumpCast team. And stay tuned to this feed over the weekend, where we'll be posting something extra, either on Saturday or Sunday. And until then, I'm Jason DeLeon, and thanks for listening to TrumpCast.